Today on Cyberwork, Becky Robertson joins us from Booz Allen to discuss creating remote work situations that address modern requirements but don't sacrifice security. We discussed the ways in which the COVID-19 pandemic helped the federal sector reconsider every aspect of the workflow process and what that means for the future of federal remote work. That's all today on Cyberwork. But first, I want to point your attention to an all-new ebook published by InfoSec. It's titled Developing Cybersecurity Talent and Teams, and it's free to read if you just go to infosecinstitute.com slash ebook. It collects practical team development ideas for industry leaders sourced from professionals like Raytheon, KPMG Cyber, Booz Allen, Nice, JP Morgan Chase, and more. Did I mention it's free? Well, it is. InfosecInstitute.com slash ebook. And now, on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode of the Cyberwork with InfoSec podcast. Each week, we talk with a different industry thought leader about cybersecurity trends, the way those trends affect the work of InfoSec professionals, and offer tips for breaking in or moving up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. Becky Robertson is a leader in Booz Allen's cybersecurity practice. Based out of the firm's Annapolis Junction, Maryland office, she leads an organization of about 400 digital solutions, engineering, and science and analytics professionals. Becky has worked for Booz Allen for more than 23 years. She leads highly technical teams bringing together digital and engineering technologies to drive innovative, effective solutions. Notably, she has served as the program manager on a successful initiative where the firm increased software development rigor and integrated teams while also converting to earned value management techniques. Uh, Although COVID restrictions are lifting for large swaths of the country, given the increase of people who are fully vaccinated, in truth, a great deal of the federal and military sector have had to work in close quarters and work from home hasn't been an option due to the level of security clearance required to do their job. In anticipation of future pullbacks or in the event of infection flare-ups or vectors or inevitable future pandemics, let's be honest, uh, we're going to talk about the ways that highly security cleared professionals can remain secure in a cybersecurity sense while also being secure in regard to public health. Uh, We'll probably talk about a lot more stuff in regard to Bruce Hamilton as well. So Becky, welcome to CyberWork. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, So we always like to start by getting uh, the story of our guest's cybersecurity journey in their own words. How far back did your interest in computers and tech start? And what initially got you excited to learn more about cybersecurity? Um, So actually, I was coming out of college. I'm going to date myself here back in 1990. And I had gone in um, to college getting a computer science and math degree. Then it turned to math. And then I realized it just wasn't making me happy what I was doing. Um, And I ended up adding some communications classes and I came out with this, some kind of a hybrid degree, right? Mm -hmm. That included lots of things. Um, And what I found was I had an advisor in college who was fabulous, Rick Dillman, Mm -hmm. if he's still out there, who really helped me understand the importance of a diverse team, both diverse ethnically, as well as Um, skill-wise. And one of the early projects I worked on in a senior thesis class was a modeling and simulation project. Hmm. And I was like, why am I doing this? This isn't what I want to be doing. And he's like, Becky, you're here to help make sure everything's done. And I realized, oh, okay, I can be technically adept, but still do things I like. And so that kind of launched me on my way, realizing that, okay, I don't have to engineer to be involved in really good tech stuff. So, um, you know, from there, I I got out of school. I was fortunate to get a job that included getting a clearance. 
-hmm. And I was hired by a former Navy commander who had a very similar view that, right, he was happy to take inexperienced people with potential. Um, and from there, I soon ended up at Booz Allen a few years later. And, um, you know, it's just, it's been a series of, I think, fortunate events for me that I've been able to kind of get in and what I consider to be the inception of what people call cyber today, right? We were cyber before right. cyber was cool. So yeah. Or even cool, before cool journey or even before people knew what it was. It seems like, you know, I, I always like talking to people who were learning cybersecurity when cybersecurity was, everyone was learning it because it was a new thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there have been a number of waves and I feel really fortunate that I've been able to not just witness, but be part of those waves. So it's it was a cool time to be joining the workforce and kind of growing yeah. up in the IC. Now, can you talk a little bit about like how how the practice and the study and the, the the work of cybersecurity has changed since those early days when you were just kind of getting your hands around what it what it actually was like what are what are some of the things that surprise you I mean did you ever imagine you know in the 90s that you would have you would be part of something that would require you know a presidential directive you know on cybersecurity I sure wish I thought more about that <laughs> you know in the time there's probably a lot I could have done if I if I'd known right. that um you know, it's uh, it's not surprising. I, I think when I started, it felt more of a cowboy mentality. Right. Um, Wild West, yeah. Yeah, there weren't a lot of rules, and and now there's rules, and that's for good reason. Mm -hmm. But I think at the same time, there is such incredible opportunity now that wasn't there before. Um, and so, you know, it's it's good. It's challenging. Every day is a new challenge. Uh, and so it's exciting and, and it opens up opportunities for our staff too, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. You know, I, it's not just a business perspective. For me, um, it's always been about the people I get to work with and collaborate with. So to me, that's, that's the really exciting part is that there's, a, there's an expanding universe that our, our experts get to be a part of. And it's really cool. Uh, your career background travels through several spaces based in large part around the U.S. federal government and the Department of Defense. What are some of the major projects or areas of study or promotions that that brought you to where you are in your position at VP at Booz Allen? I mean, can you speak, yeah. to, can you speak at all to staying with the same company for 25 years in an industry where people are often conditioned to pull up stakes every three to five years? Yeah. Yeah, so I, before I came to Booz Allen, I worked at two other defense contractors mm -hmm. um, and they were very different experiences, but I'm a firm believer that they made me who I am today. So uh, they were good experiences. Mm -hmm. um, I'll admit I had a, I feel like sometimes um, I'm the feather in Forrest Gump, right? I was just on the breeze and riding <laughs> right. the breeze somewhere, but um, I had great clients, great mentors, great leaders around me. And, and the key was really that people always encouraged me to find a way to say yes and pivot um, when things came up. And, and I'm, I'm kind of competitive. So that, that wasn't always hard to do. It was more of a balance thing, right? How right. do you balance real life and your career, that kind of stuff. But, you know, a few things that come up for me are, you know, there's, there was a particular client project I was working on soon after I joined Booz Allen and uh, the the government project leader, unfortunately, was ill and was going to be out for three months at a really critical time of the project. Well, mm. I was 
you know, I was kind of a tech writer on that project. It turns mm. out I was the one that knew the most about everything going on. Oh yeah. Right? Everybody else was in their little corner and I, I knew a lot about what was going on. And you were the synthesizer of all the different yep. pieces of and information. Okay. Yeah. And so I stepped in to lead this project through a pretty pivotal, pivotal time, pivotal, I don't know if that's the word, uh, time, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and it was it was an eye opener to me. I think, you know, it really solidified my role with a lot of the engineers I was working with. Um, and and I think it, you know, it helped. It certainly helped me in my career. Right. It, it was yeah. something that was a big success. And and I was I was pleased to have been a part of it. That's always been my motivation. Right. It's I just I want to make an impact and be part of a success. And so it was really cool to do that. So you know, a few things like that, again, seizing opportunity when it comes up, that's really been important to me. Uh, so because a lot of our listeners are just starting their cybersecurity journey and, you know, looking to our guests to determine what types of careers they might want to pursue, I wanted to ask you about your your current position at, at Booze. What is your what is your day-to-day work life uh, uh, like as, as a VP there? What are your some of your primary tasks each week? You know, how big is the team that you uh, you know, uh, work, work for you? And, and what are some of your favorite tasks that you get to do? And what are other things about your job that maybe keep you awake on Sunday nights? Yeah. Um, well, like most people, I think I don't, I don't wear a single hat okay. um, in my role, right? I have a couple different roles. I, they are all focused on number one, helping clients be more impactful and helping number two, helping staff be more impactful. So it's a real joy to get to do what I do every day. I, I'm in awe of the people who surround me. Um, and, you know, I, I think you might've mentioned in the intro, there's about 400 folks who align to me directly. Okay. Our um, broader group that I help to govern with others is uh, a little over a thousand people. Wow. So there's lots of people involved. I have a small group that I rely on uh, for a lot of kind of helping me understand what's going on, get things right. done. Um, but, you know, my my weeks are, um, in some ways, there's a framework there. There's meetings that have to happen to keep us all in right. sync, which, you know, we all kind of dread. Right. They've been, it's been a lot of WebEx meetings for the past oh, 15 yeah. months, right? I have my <laughs> t-shirt that says you're on mute because <laughs> inevitably right. there's somebody on mute all the time. But yeah. um, but it's what happens between those regular meetings mm-hmm. that is most interesting, right? That problem solving that we fit in the joints and the things that come up. So I have a pretty good mix of routine and not routine um, that comes with every week. Yeah. So um, as we teased at the at the start of the show, we wanted to talk about something that's been an issue for the past year. Uh, you know, of course, it's the COVID-19 pandemic, as you mentioned, uh, and specifically the issues of safety around person-to-person work operations in the face of a virus that's astonishingly easy to spread, especially with some of the new variants, uh, you know, or to be infected by while working in close quarters with members of the public. So while some section of the workforce immediately transitioned to work from home back in March, jobs with high security clearances can be much harder to transfer to safer isolated spaces. So I want to kind of start by delineating the issue here. Can you give me an example of a position that falls under this exception, a job that due to high security clearance cannot currently be safely done from a remote location? Sure, sure. And, you know, it's probably important to say up front, the IC is not like what you see in the movies, right? There's no right. one person that has all the knowledge and expertise to do something and they just 
in, in like the command some keyboard center. keys and, and yeah, it happens, right? right? right. Um, there's a lot of collaboration that goes on. Um, it's kind of like building a rocket to go to Mars. Mm -hmm. um, there's lots of unknowns, there's lots of stakeholders and equipment in specific locations, right? Whether right. that's Houston or Florida or wherever, right? Probably a um, rotating list of, of people coming in and out. And, yeah, and mm -hmm. no one person could ever build or test a rocket to go to Mars by themselves, right? It's a team right. of people injecting expertise at the right time, right systems, right locations, all that. So, you know, the in my corner of the world, there's a lot of work that's very similar to that, right? And I think of, you know, we have software developers and technology analysts. Um, it's very similar to building a rocket. They depend on that creative collaboration that goes on. And sometimes there's data sources or equipment in a specific location. And so you can't take it home and work right. in your basement with it, right? Um, sure. So that's a, that's a lot of what we do and, and a lot of unknowns that we have to prepare for. So people have to be in the right place to do their role. Uh, and so that's why, you know, we had thousands of people, I know from Booz Allen and plenty of other industry partners as well who worked throughout the pandemic. Right. Now, can you, um, what are some of the, the technical or procedural hurdles that would need to be cleared to make high clearance positions like this safe to do remotely? Or is that is that not even an option? Uh, well, this is where... I think we as not just industry, but government need to think differently. Um, mm -hmm. I think we've got to look at it differently and consider breaking down uh, what we've done for many years into more of a modular approach. It's a mindset change. Everybody exactly, needs to think yeah. differently. Um, and, and it has to reflect the way the world has changed in the past, particularly the past 10 years. Okay. There's been a dramatic change in the kind of people who want the talent to do this work. Um, so I think there's a lot of updating that could be done. And and it's got to come from the inside out um, or from the outside in, right? That's another mm -hmm. thought. I, I think it's it's pretty, it's a pretty insular environment. And so trying to find ways to bring new ideas in and say, hey, I know you're busy looking at your corner of the world, but this is going on in the outside. You really should adjust. Right, that's that's on us as industry. We need to take that in and help our uh, government partners understand that environment and and the importance of thinking about our work differently. Right. Yeah, I, I was going to say that. I, you know, a lot of what we've kind of learned in the past year, you know, happened under extreme pressure and under you know extreme pressure to keep things uh, moving you know, quickly. Um, but you know, it's it's important to sort of like take those 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 lessons and sort of apply them, you know, I, and like you say, not just in terms of like short-term emergency, but like how we can completely sort of restructure the way uh, work looks and, and the way that sort of like, you know, multi-step processes can be completed in different places and, and, and so forth. I mean, um, you know, is, is, is this something that booze and other places are, are sort of looking at actively as far as you, you're concerned? You mean about doing work differently going yeah. forward? Yeah, changing the nature of it, yeah. Absolutely. I think absolutely we and others are, um, you know, it's it's not all up to us as a company, obviously, right? Yeah. Our clients have to say so. So there's a lot of um, a lot of discussions that have to go on and agreements. But I think everybody agrees it needs to happen. Um, yeah. The pace of it happening is never satisfactory. 
Right. And I was going to say, you know, it, it makes me think also of that, that old sort of, I mean, it's, it's canonical at this point, but the story of the, the new, you know, president of Alcoa aluminum, where he, you know, he, he stood in front of his, his board and said, you know, my goal for next year is, is zero workplace injuries. And, you know, all the, all the stakeholders went to sell their stocks, but, you know, the, you know, as the story unfolds, you realize that by sort of moving towards, you know, hundred percent safety, it, it changes like the processes of the way, how efficient aluminum is made and all these other things. I might be getting some of the details wrong, but, uh, but, uh, you know, I feel like this, this has sort of a knock on effect of if we start thinking about the way things are done differently in terms of like, well, we've always done it this way and it's, it's inefficient, but no one wants to change it. Now that we've been in the pressure cooker of having to change it, uh, you know, we have this chance to sort of like create these, these kind of efficiencies, right? Yeah, yeah, we we have an obligation to look at this work differently, right? We mm -hmm. have to, in order to survive, we as an IC community have to look at things differently. So I agree with you. Uh, so roughly how many people could be affected by technical or procedural changes like this? I mean, how many employees or vendors are currently having to work in, in you know, middling or, you know, it, uh, not, not less safe conditions, but, you know, uh, concerning conditions because of difficulties and making them, you know, more, more remote. Yeah, I, I guess, well, I'd start by saying, I, I don't, I don't think they're in unsafe conditions. Um, of course, yeah. I, I know our top priority as a firm has been keeping people safe. Right. Um, and, and I think our clients went out of their way to do what they could yep. um, to help earn the confidence of the workforce in these really trying times. And that includes, you know, we were supported by a section 3610 of the CARES Act, which mm -hmm. was just uh, indispensable in helping maintain our cleared workforce. Mm -hmm. um, we put a lot of extra checks in place uh, for our staff. Uh, we had testing at our site. We had home COVID testing that people could do as often as they wanted to. We had extra cleaning supplies, lunches, mm -hmm. we provide lunches, right? So I think everyone went out of their way to make it as safe as possible. But all that said, um, to answer your question, I, I think there are hundreds of thousands of mm -hmm. professionals who could be impacted by this. And, and frankly, those people recognize the gravity of their work and still came in to support their critical client missions. So I mean, I just couldn't be prouder of our, our company, of our industry, um, and just how everyone came together and recognized, okay, this isn't just any old job. What I do really right. matters, and I need to be here, and I need to find a way to do it safely. Um, so yeah, I, I think these disruptions, to your point earlier, could happen again. Mm -hmm. um, but regardless of that, our job is to be steady in the face of those disruptions. So I, you know, I, I, um, I feel like we did the best we could, and it was appreciated by the staff who were impacted. Yeah. Now, are there uh, concerns around the cybersecurity sphere about how to create these these more sort of security cleared but remote work environments that are not only safe enough to you know not risk being hacked at the highest level of security, but also sufficiently robust? that the materials needed to do the job can be accessed, accessed because, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's one thing to make everything as locked down as possible, but there always has to be a, that balance. If the person in the safer location doesn't have the materials they need to do their job efficiently. Do you, do you yeah. what, what, what is the sort of uh, security uh, stance in, in sort of making these, these procedural changes? Well, um, I think one is we've got to find a way to do this, right? Mm -hmm. It's not an option. We've got to find a way to do it. And I think part of it is 
that we shouldn't be assuming we're just going to pick up roles we have today and transport them remotely. Right. Um, to my point earlier, we need to think differently and think about, okay, well, let's step back and slice this pie a different way and say okay. what could be done elsewhere without needing all of the infrastructure that's required. Um, and it has to be done at scale too, right? I mean, demand is increasing for these services. It's not going down. It's harder for us to find the talent we need uh, because there is this whole other universe that's come into being, you know, about 10 years ago, we started feeling it where commercial cyber was becoming attractive to people that previously had been, um, you know, only IC resources. So I think these two universes, I, I think of them as coming together now. We need to treat them mm. as a single universe. We shouldn't be thinking it's them and us. It's one right. universe. And so, again, that is part of the imperative about why we've got to find a way to make more flexible remote work possible um, to meet that increasing demand. Yeah, to use your 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 term of of finding different ways to slice the pie here. I mean, what are can you give me some sort of concrete examples of of like the ways that something like this could be sort of completely rethought, like in, in one particular role or, or one particular sure. process? Mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, I think for any um, development project, there's software development project, mm -hmm. for instance, there might be in the front end, there might be some research that goes on and some data analysis. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you might get into design and then into development and testing, maybe some integration has to go on after that, and then more testing and deployment. So if you look at that life cycle, um, given what happens in the non-IC world these days, some of the research that gets done very easily can be done in a remote, uncleared space. Sure. Um, so to me, that's a perfect example that, right, just thinking about it differently yeah. so and thinking about it through a 2021 lens, yeah. right, not a, a 1990 lens. Yeah, so there's, a, there's an aspect where you can sort of partition the workflow in, in such a way that you can sort of cut out certain non clearance required things to be done in, in other places. And and so you're, you're basically sort of like breaking, you know, maybe a six step process into a 13 step process, but in doing so you're able to sort of uh, part, you know, save only the most security cleared necessary things, you know, for the sort of in, in, you know, in-person thing or in a different different situation. Yeah, yeah, and at the same time, you're broadening your staffing pool, right? You're increasing right. and diversifying your staffing pool, which right. to me is a huge benefit, not just for numbers of people, but for the experience people have, right? You're bringing in people who have commercial experience right. that you would have never been able to access before. That that moves nicely to my next question. With all, with all of these predictions of in-house or out-of-office or hybrid uh, work situations for the future of security work in the coming years, what advice or tips would you have for students or early professionals, uh, many of whom listen to our show are, you know, have, have indicated that they have, you know, uh, are just beginning their, their career trip. What advice or tips would you have uh, for these people who are looking for work to work in a cybersecurity role in a federal or defense sphere? Yeah. Um, so I, full disclosure, I have two college age ch children. Mm -hmm. uh, one actually just graduated from high school. So she's my my fresh freshman going into college. Mm -hmm. But I, I would say the same thing I tell them, which is no matter what career field you are pursuing, it always pays to be a curious, engaged, 
active stakeholder um, in what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you are not an owner of what you're doing, act like an owner, right? right? Care about it and be curious. I mean, that curiosity piece to me is part of it. So many people get caught up in trying to be the expert in the room um, or feeling somehow um, that they don't deserve to be in the room. Uh, right. I, I, I have learned over the many years I've been working that um, there's just not time for that, right? You, you can't go in assuming that you know it all. Um, you need to, to seek knowledge. You need to ask questions. You right. can't be afraid to look stupid. You need to be collaborative, right? You need yep. to help others grow, right? Everybody will lift each other up. It just it's such a more effective model uh, in the long run. So to me, whether you're an accountant, you're an HVAC mechanic or a data scientist or cyber professional or whatever, um, you know, you, you need to be ready to be curious and engaged. Um, and so I think that applies throughout the cyber ecosystem, right? You, you yeah. need to be curious about the technologies that are important, about opportunities, about threats, and understanding how they fit into your client challenges. And if you don't know your client's full picture, seek that, right? Seek mm -hmm. people who can help you understand it. So curiosity to me is such a valuable trait. So what types of positions in the cybersecurity sphere are especially in demand in, in where, where you are in the federal defense industry? What type of, are there like high demand for pen testers, security engineers, risk analysts, all of the above? What, what do you see currently people are eagerly trying to fill at this moment? Yeah, you know, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think the federal defense industry can afford to think of themselves as a unique industry anymore. Mm -hmm. um, there, there are characteristics that are unique, but they're, they're not anymore. They are pulling from the same talent pool that others are pulling through across many, many sectors, right? And mm -hmm. lots of overlapping missions, I'll say, between both commercial, private, and federal um, so cyber is such a broad term. I think you really can find any kind of specialty these days existing within that broader cyber ecosystem. Um, so I think it really transcends industry. Uh, you know, it's in health, it's in transportation, it's in mm -hmm. finance and banking, uh, right? It's, it's across every industry now. All that having been said, um, I do think while there's opportunity just about anywhere, some of the specific things I'm seeing, particularly um, you know, with the pandemic, there mm -hmm. was a critical need for that kind of advanced, very flexible, secure technology platforms. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting angle um, yeah. that I don't think is gonna go away to our discussion about working sure. remotely, right? I think that's gonna continue. But then in general, uh, right, you look at some, if you think of the general technology trends that are out there, right, cloud integration, which some may think most of the world has already gone through, well, the IC hasn't always gone through it at the same pace as the rest of the world. So implementing data science and machine learning and artificial intelligence solutions are very high demand areas for us. Mm -hmm. um, and then the pure cybersecurity side of things, right, the the pen testing, as you mentioned earlier, yep. that's a piece of it, but it's sure. also, you know, more thoughtful than that, right? Things like 5G, zero trust, embedded analysis, okay. cyber mm -hmm. defense, all of that is incredibly high demand, um, in, again, in my corner of the world. So for people who are, are again, just getting started or, or maybe still in college or, or sort of 
examining their options, but they know that they want to sort of get into sort of federal roles. Are there any particular, you know, obviously, you know, security clearances and and things are things they need to start thinking about and and preparing for. But are there any other sort of uh, skills or like like you know what would be your sort of like your all in one starter kit for like I want to I want to you know get work in in the federal government and I don't know where to start. Like where where would where would you start apart from continuing your cyber training? Um, well, so I, I think there's always a role for folks with technology experience. Mm-hmm. So whether that's as um, a software developer, a systems engineer, um, some kind of a data scientist, I think all those roles have a very, um, there's a very strong need for those. Um, I, I think, um, you know, I would say part of it is, um, exposing yourself to um, not just what what you find interesting, but, you know, listening to things like podcasts, being out there, checking in on blogs, uh, on mm-hmm. things that are important to you, kind of the networking piece, which right. isn't a word I like to use because it scares me a little bit. I'm, I'm not I'm not into networking, but I learned <laughs> I had to do it. Yeah. Uh, but it, it gets back to that curiosity piece, right? Being curious. Um, right and just looking to learn, make it less about networking and more about looking to learn. I think that's the best thing you can do. And if seriously, I think just about any degree could launch you into this work. Um, I don't think it's about okay. having to have an engineering degree. Right. Uh, so we talk a lot on the show about the the skills gap in cybersecurity, specifically in the private sector. Um, but uh, you know, there's uh, where there's more positions to be filled and there are qualified candidates to fill them. Does the federal sector have a similar problem in your experience? Yeah, yeah. You know, as I said, I mean, they're a shared space now. They're fused together, mm-hmm. um, federal and private. And so, and that's not going to be undone. I think that's just right. where we are. So um, it's interesting. I've seen many of our industry partners treat them as two separate spaces. Mm. Um, and and I think that is mostly a risk mitigation thing for them, right? They don't they don't want to get in trouble by sharing something they shouldn't share. Right. Um, it just makes it a lot cleaner. But in the long run, I don't I don't think that really helps their clients. So I, I know within Booz Allen, our approach has been different, that we think there is a tremendous amount to be gained by building a bridge between those two um two different sectors. You know, I, I view it. I'm a I'm a Marvel fan, so I view it as kind of that rainbow bridge, right? Okay. The Bifrost, mm-hmm. right? It 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 is so powerful when we can connect those two and have information flow across, right? It's not just about exporting from the federal sector out; it is about pulling in and and not even just pulling in information, but if you allow people to go across that rainbow bridge and come back, think of the knowledge and experience they're bringing with them. So we see it as a huge win for our client's mission, number one, but number two, and it's a close number two, is for our staff creating opportunity for staff who, you know, we've got a pretty um, wide range of generations in the workforce. Uh, Some folks have spent their entire career in the federal space and are curious and want to give it a try. Mm-hmm. Um, others are, you know, mid-career and they're like, well, if I'm ever going to make a move, now's it, right? So we love being able to give them the opportunity to do some more of that uh, private or commercial sector work. And then there's folks coming out of school who, many of whom 
you know, they they have lived in uh, through this pandemic. They want to keep working remotely, right? Um, but they like the intrigue of doing some of the federal work, and so to be able to provide opportunities across that group is is for us a huge differentiator. We think it's a win win for everyone. So to to that end, as we wrap up today, what what advice would you give to listeners who are just trying to get their cybersecurity career off the ground, but are maybe a little unsure of where to start? What are, what what's, what is the first step you'd recommend to put yourself on a good career path? Um, I'm gonna sound. I'm really gonna sound like a mom now, but um, I would say look at the news and and find something that interests you in the news related to cyber. There is mm-hmm. so much out there that's happening, right? But just find something that intrigues you and interests you. Um, And then be curious and learn more about it, right? Whether it's gas lines being shut down or something else that pops up in the news, right? There is a role for just about anyone in cybersecurity. And it's just, you got to explore a little bit, get curious, and then find yourself some good mentors. Oh, can you talk to talk a little bit about that about men about mentors and sort of reaching out to people? I mean, we've had you know you're our 152nd guest or something like that, but uh, you know we've had we've had loads of guests who who say you know oh yeah anyone can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Like, can you talk about where where young people would would look for mentors or or sort of what what the give and take is? Because I know there's you know sometimes there's there's a little too much take and not enough give. Like, what what does what does a a mentee sort of give back to a mentor in terms of, of making it, you know, not just sort of like, you know, I'm going to ask you all this stuff and then, and then, and then that's it, you know, do you have yeah. any, any sort of thoughts on mentor, mentee, mentee etiquette? Oh yes, of course. Um, as a beneficiary of some mm-hmm. really great mentors, um, I would say number one, don't assume that it's a one-way thing, right? Mentors, right. I think, learn as much from mentees as, uh, as they do vice versa. So, um, I would highly encourage you to find somebody who has that kind of attitude. And the way you find those people, number one, I think it doesn't have to be somebody in your company. It doesn't have to be somebody in your industry. Um, I have gotten some of the best mentoring from people. You know, I mentioned my college advisor was so influential. And the first person that hired me was so influential. I, I would seek those kinds of mentors, anyone that you admire, how they work and integrate with others. I would just pick their brain a little bit. I think most people, number one, are flattered and they also are very willing to give up their time. I've, I, I can't tell you how um, fortunate I feel to have had so many good mentors um, help me. I will say at Booz Allen, that's an expectation, right? Mm. That if somebody asks for help, you're going to give it. So I, I feel fortunate, you know, through my, however many years here at Booz Allen, 26 years, 25 years, I have, um, you know, I've benefited from a culture where that is really valued. So one last question here, if our listeners want to learn more about Becky Robertson, your activities or Booz Hamilton, where can they go online? Uh, so I'm on LinkedIn and then you can also just go to boozallen.com and under people leaders, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm listed there with an old picture that makes me look younger than I am. (laughs) We're all, we've all done that. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Becky, thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing your history with us. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Chris. 
Uh, and as always, thank you to everyone listening at home or at work or at work from home uh, today. All new episodes of the Cyberwork Podcast are available every Monday at 1 p.m. Central Time, both on video at our YouTube page on infosecinstitute.com slash podcast or on audio wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Thank you once again to Becky Robertson and thank you all again for watching and listening. We will speak to you next week. How about some free cybersecurity training resources for you and your team? Just go to infosecinstitute.com slash free to get ebooks, training guides, and more than 100 cybersecurity training courses, all free for cyber work listeners. Go to infosecinstitute.com slash free and start learning crucial new skills today.